Section 11 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 22. London, December 18th, Old Style, 1747. Dear Boy, As two mails are now due from Holland, I have no letters of yours or Mr. Hart's to acknowledge, so that this letter is the effect of that scribendi catholicis which my fears, my hopes, and my doubts concerning you give me. When I have wrote you a very long letter upon any subject, it is no sooner gone, but I think I have omitted something in it, which might be of use to you, and then I prepare the supplement for the next post, or else some new subject occurs to me, upon which I fancy I can give you some informations, or point out some rules which may be advantageous to you. This sets me to writing again, though God knows whether to any purpose or not, a few years more can only ascertain that. But whatever my success may be, my anxiety and my care can only be the effects of that tender affection which I have for you, and which you cannot represent to yourself greater than it really is. But do not mistake the nature of that affection, and think it of a kind that you may with impunity abuse. It is not natural affection, there being in reality no such thing. For if it were, some inward sentiment must necessarily and reciprocally discover the parent to the child, and the child to the parent, without any exterior indications, knowledge, or acquaintance whatsoever, which never happened since the creation of the world, whatever poets, romance, and novel-writers, and such sentiment-mongers may be pleased to say to the contrary. Neither is my affection for you that of a mother, of which the only, or at least the chief objects, are health and life. I wish you them both most heartily, but at the same time I confess they are by no means my principal care. My object is to have you fit to live, which, if you are not, I do not desire that you should live at all. My affection for you, then, is, and only will be, proportioned to your merit, which is the only affection that the rational being ought to have for another. Hitherto I have discovered nothing wrong in your heart, or your head. On the contrary, I think I see sense in the one, and sentiments in the other. This persuasion is the only motive of my present affection, which will either increase or diminish, according to your merit or demerit. If you have the knowledge, the honour, and probity, which you may have, the marks and warmth of my affection shall amply reward them. But if you have them not, my aversion and indignation will rise in the same proportion. And in that case, remember that I am under no further obligation than to give you the necessary means of subsisting. If ever we quarrel, do not expect or depend upon any weakness in my nature for a reconciliation, as children frequently do, and often meet with, from silly parents. I have no such weakness about me, and as I will never quarrel with you but on some essential point, if once we quarrel I will never forgive. But I hope and believe that this declaration, for it is no threat, will prove unnecessary. You are no stranger to the principles of virtue, and surely whoever knows virtue must love it. As for knowledge, you have already enough of it to engage you to acquire more. The ignorant only either despise it or think that they have enough. Those who have the most are always the most desirous to have more, and know that the most they can have is, alas, but too little. Reconsider from time to time, and retain the friendly advice which I send you. The advantage will be all your own. Letter 23. London, December ninth, Old Style, 1747. Dear Boy, I have received two letters from you of the 17th and 22nd New Style, by the last of which I find that some of mine to you must have miscarried, for I have never been above two posts without writing to you or to Mr. Hart, and even very long letters. 
I have also received a letter from Mr. Hart, which gives me great satisfaction. It is full of your praises, and he answers for you, that in two years more you will deserve your manumission, and be fit to go into the world, upon a footing that will do you honour, and give me pleasure. I thank you for your offer of the new edition of Adamus Adami, but I do not want it, having a good edition of it at present. When you have read that, you will do well to follow it with Père Bougant's Histoire du Trait du Monster. You will do well to follow it with Père Bougant's Histoire du Trait du Monster, in two volumes quarto, which contains many important anecdotes concerning that famous treaty that are not in Adamus Adami. You tell me that your lectures upon the Jus Publicum will be ended at Easter, but then I hope that Monsieur Moscow will begin them again for I would not have you discontinue that study one day while you are at Leipzig. I suppose that Monsieur Moscow will likewise give you lectures upon the Instrumentum Pacus, and upon the capitulation of the late emperors. Your German will go on, of course, and I take it for granted that your stay at Leipzig will make you a perfect master of that language, both as to speaking and writing. For remember, that knowing any language imperfectly is very little better than not knowing it at all people being as unwilling to speak in a language which they do not possess thoroughly, as others are to hear them. Your thoughts are cramped, and appear to great disadvantage, in any language of which you are not perfect master. Let modern history share part of your time, and that always accompanied with maps of the places in question. Geography and history are very imperfect separately, and, to be useful, must be joined. Go to the Duchess of Courtland's as often as she and your leisure will permit. The company of women of fashion will improve your manners, though not your understanding, and that complacence and politeness which are so useful in men's company can only be acquired in women's. Remember always what I have told you a thousand times, that all the talents in the world will want all their lustre, and some part of their use, too, if they are not adorned with that easy good breeding, that engaging manner, and those graces, which seduce and prepossess people in your favour at first sight. A proper care of your person is by no means to be neglected. Always extremely clean, upon proper occasions fine. Your carriage genteel, and your motions graceful. Take particular care of your manner and address, when you present yourself in company. Let them be respectful without meanness, easy without too much familiarity, genteel without affectation, and insinuating without any seeming art or design. You need not send me any more extracts of the German Constitution which by the course of your present studies I know you must soon be acquainted with, but I would now rather that your letters should be a sort of journal of your own life, as, for instance, what company you keep, what new acquaintances you make, what your pleasures are, with your own reflections upon the whole, likewise what Greek and Latin books you read and understand. Adieu. End of section 11. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org